Hello and welcome. My name is Peter Silva. I'm the Essex Police Chief and also the Harbor Master for the Town of Essex. We're introducing the CORI program that we're starting, which is a simple acronym for keeping our residents informed. Um, the police department is beginning a series of informational podcasts, which will cover a host of different topics. So it's my hope that members of the public may check out these podcasts and learn not only about the town of Essex, but also about important topics within the police department. It is also my hope that these podcasts will provide an informational platform that you may find useful, informative, and interesting, so that you may educate yourself on these important topics. So today's podcast will be a simple discussion about emergency planning. There is something that is very important for many different disciplines from within the town of Essex. It is a great pleasure to introduce two very important guests who perform very important roles every day in our community to ensure that everyone is safe and that fire and health issues are handled in the most professional way. Today's guests are two people who I have a great deal of respect for and who I work with many times on a daily basis. My two guests today are Essex Fire Chief Daniel Doucette and Board of Health Administrator Aaron Kirshner. So hello to both of you and thank you very much for being part of today's podcast on emergency planning. So why don't we get started with maybe you could introduce yourself and tell us what you do and then we can get into the scope of the duties that both of you perform. All right, my name's Dan Doucette. Uh, I've been a member of the fire department since 1985, currently the fire chief. Uh, we have a department of approximately 40 on-call members. We do uh, staff the station daytimes with uh, coverage. Uh, we operate out of a single station in the center of town and also provide ambulance service. Uh, I'm also function as the town's emergency management director, responsible for uh, responses during states of emergencies and planning and so forth, involving both MEMA and FEMA at the federal level. Great. My name is Erin Kirchner, and I'm the Board of Health Administrator for the Town of Essex. I've worked in town for three years, and I've worked in um, the field of public health for about 12 years, working for various board members, health departments, et cetera, um, throughout Massachusetts. And currently working for the Essex Board of Health, we do everything from septic plans and installation inspections to food inspections, restaurant inspections, foodborne illness, um, tracking, communicable disease surveillance, um, housing inspections and hoarding issues, and including um, emergency planning with the uh, fire department and police department. And you do a fantastic job, the both of you as well. So let's start the conversation by just discussing, you know, when people think about emergency planning, what is emergency planning and why do we do it? Well, I think the most important thing is emergency planning allows the citizen to be prepared for an emergency. Uh, and that is very important in the case of a storm uh, for the individual to be able to, one, kind of stand up on their own, make sure they're prepared for a storm, and be able to weather out the storm. Uh, public safety resources during these type of events is, are typically stretched, and uh, it would be sometimes very difficult for those resources to reach individuals, uh, and it's very important that they prepare uh, from basic planning around their house to having kits and so forth, which we can get into in a little bit. Emergency planning, I think, on, on our end, it's, it's just a term that gets thrown around and has been thrown around for, for a long time, and a lot of people don't know that it really is helping people to 
to do what they can to protect themselves and to protect the, the members of their community and the first responders. And it's, it's little things, everything from um, making sure you have batteries, you know, say extra batteries and um, I don't know what else, water, bottled water. Yeah, there's a host of different things I'm sure that, that every one of us do, even on the police side of things. Um, you know, we have to worry about power lines down and we have to worry about power issues and a whole variety of things that probably most people don't think twice about, but you turn the light switch on, we fully expect that the water will run, the electricity will flow and so forth. But the reality is that unfortunately, um, I think that many people, and I'm not sure if you both agree, uh, but I certainly feel that a lot of people are not prepared necessarily for some of these things that might arise. And um, that's why I'm hoping this podcast will certainly encourage people to think about these types of things and think about these situations that, that an emergency situation may arise. So can we just talk about maybe a couple of situations where planning of an emergency would be necessary? Well, I think a lot of times people obviously do uh, basic fire safety <coughs> stuff in their house. And they make sure they have fire extinguishers, uh, carbon and smoke detectors in their house, but they never really truly prepare their house for uh, catastrophic weather event. Uh, things like uh, cleaning your gutter and making sure your downspout drain away from your foundation, checking your sump pump, having a generator, uh, knowing how to shut off your, t your utilities, being able to get to them safely without them being obstructed by storage in your house. Uh, things like that that can prepare your house uh, so when these weather events do hit, uh, you can stay in your, your own home and be relatively safe. That also includes having um, an emergency kit, and it doesn't have to be this huge, expensive thing. It's things that you can buy a little bit at a time to make sure you can make it a couple days with no power, that you have um, non-perishable food, that you have a can opener that doesn't require electricity to use, and that everyone knows how to use it. Um, making sure you have cash available, because if the town loses power, the ATM machines won't work. Um, a basic first aid kit, flashlight and batteries, wind-up radio, something you can get um, the news on or from if you don't have electricity and maybe you don't have Wi-Fi and access to social media and other, you know, other forms of getting information. That's great, Erin, and that's, that's, those are great points noted. Um, Chief, you had mentioned the sump pumps. I think that that's interesting because I recall the last last year's flooding that we had and so forth. The, the flooding was just absolutely incredible. And I think many homes were dependent because of the water tables that the houses were situated on to rely on the sump pumps. Do, 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 you, do you have any other information of why the sump pumps would fail or things that they could do to ensure that uh, failure doesn't happen? Well, I think quite often it's just when they're not exercised during the dry times of the year, uh, sometimes the floats stick or they get unplugged and somebody uses that plug for a weed whacker and then just forgets to plug it back in. So that's as simple as checking it, plugging it in, moving the float, making sure it still works. Uh, and then there are other options as battery uh, backup sump pumps that people can do. Uh, I think a lot of people in the residence in the town of Essex actually prepare pretty well with having their sump pumps uh, in place and, and taking care of themselves kind of do very well on that aspect. I know some other communities rely greatly on uh, the public safety people to come in and take care of their basements if they're flooded, but I think the citizens of Essex do a pretty good job. Right. 
And in the event of an emergency, I know that there are some some contractors that do provide some services to for pump outs, but that was an incredible um, episode of bad weather that we did have, and many people were dependent on getting their homes pumped out. But you know, getting up this morning and coming to work, I did see that the, the Category Four hurricane that's down south right now that's driving towards the Carolinas. I mean, this gets us all kind of thinking about these types of thing about emergency planning and how we need to focus on these things that even though it may be many, many miles away down the Carolinas, certainly I think that the both of you may agree that, that we need to think about these things because although we haven't had a hurricane for many years, the, um, the probability of the you know, sea level rise and climate change, these are things that we're all thinking about from all disciplines. And uh, what types of things do you think that we could help listeners know about planning when the, if a hurricane were to come or even something so far away that we might uh, encourage them to, to think about? Well, the biggest thing is to stay informed. Uh, the town has access to uh, a notification program online that can be signed up on the town website. You can receive any type of town emergencies or general emergency messages that are put out. Uh, but to just stay informed. Uh, if, it may, you know, if an evacuation issue is ever issued, uh, you know, pay particular notice to that and do what they public safety officials suggest. Uh, a lot of times when people stay in their homes during these periods where there's a uh, mandatory evacuation, uh, the resources will not be there to go help an individual who decides to stay behind. Uh, in the coastal area where we are, if a storm is coming and you know there's going to be coastal flooding, um, maybe a good suggestion to go stay with a relative who is on relatively higher and drier ground. Uh, just to prevent uh, any issue of you being stranded or any type of a situation where you'll be left, uh, you know, needing help. Yeah, I know that there's, I mean, when we have these types of huge storms and whether it's snow or rain or flooding or otherwise, the reluctancy of some homeowners to take that, heed that advice, I think is alive and well. And it's unfortunate that people do choose to stay in their homes oftentimes. So we certainly want to encourage people to listen to the experts and uh, some of them are at the table here today and the, the news people, the weather people, and heed the warnings to these types of emergencies because the time when they do need help, if we cannot get to them, certainly would delay our response time to get to them. So early planning, and again, which is what this podcast is all about, emergency planning, certainly is something that we want people to encourage, uh, encourage them to, to get their hands around this and you know, plan, plan uh, accordingly. We, we do have several areas that will have three and four feet of water on the road in a, in a astro, you know an astronomically high tide with a storm surge so uh, they won't be accessible uh, to public safety uh, services during that time uh, so in those areas it'd be a suggestion that they get out and get to drier higher land yeah and I recall several years back when we had that that year where it just didn't stop snowing we had a couple of the roads that actually had drifted so much. I mean, there was no vehicles, to my knowledge, that we have that we would be able to access them, which, again, creates another um, dire emergency. So even though people may think that they're, they're safe in their own home, it's a place that they're more comfortable and, and uh, aware of and so forth, it does bring on other rescue concerns on all of us to, uh, as responders. So, And I know that the day-to-day the -day emergencies are... Yeah, basically some of, some of the simple things such as house numbering and that should be part of the emergency planning for example several years back the police department went on a campaign to bring to the attention to about house numbering because we go on these calls and many people really don't have their house numbered you know and that's unfortunate it does 
it does cause problems for respondents. Does cause, and we're we're usually out there on the road, and sometimes we are first to arrive. So locating the home, getting appropriate information back to the your, your fire responders and your emergency um, ambulance operators and so forth. That can be delayed, and certainly we don't want to do that. We want to get the information and get to your home as quickly as possible. But when we went on the campaign for the house numbering project, we utilized social media. I mean, we utilized the newspaper as well as um, personal observations when the police officers would go to a resident or business's attention if they noticed it did not have a number. That was something that they would follow up with, and they'd try to bring it to the people's attention. So, you know, and again, there may be construction that could be environmental, whether it be snow or rain or even just the absence of somebody even hanging a number to display the responder's address to the police or the fire department personnel who are responding to the business. So uh, any thoughts on that? Uh, house numbering is a huge issue. Um, having a visual, you know, when you pull up to an end of a driveway that shows the markings of what, what residences are located on that driveway. We have many common driveways that service two and three houses, so it's important that they're well marked at the base of the driveway and then at each intersection, it should show the direction to the corresponding houses as you make your way up the driveway. And then the house should still have another number on it, so when we pull up in front of the house and see the house and the house number, we're confident we're in the right location. Uh, these things need to be posted you know, at a location where they're not gonna be obstructed by bushes or snow in the winter. Uh, so it's a it's a it's a very important uh, aspect uh, to make sure the homeowner maintains uh, some type of good numbering system. Excellent, very good, Erin. Um, I know that you had spoken too about maybe um, some of the tips as far as what we can tell listeners about what they may have on hand and so forth. And I think that there were great suggestions. And I mean things like keeping batteries on hand um, for any of the items that would require a battery. Bottled water. I mean the shelf life for bottled water certainly can be. Um, you know, can be helpful for lasting long periods of time and so forth. Maybe hand sanitizer or some antibacterial wipes. Um, maybe uh, even even something like medication, that if you're medication dependent, that maybe you have an ample supply, particularly if you know that there's bad weather coming. You may not be able to get out of the home. You may have a hurricane that's bearing down. You may have large amount of snowfall. That uh, and maybe the possibly the pharmacy will be closed for for some time. So certainly, I always want to remind people to um, to also have a cell phone. If they have a cell phone, it's always a, a good a great idea, I think, to have a cell phone charger on hand. And the type that I'm talking about would be a cigarette lighter adapter. So if you don't have power and you have all you have is a charger for your cell phone that you plug into the wall and you don't have power, you're not going to be able to charge that. But whereas if you had the car charger, you'd at least have the opportunity to go out to the car, hopefully and put it on the charger and so forth and, and you would at least be able to have emergency access through 911 or, or uh, calling your loved ones or whatnot. So things like that I think are very, very good. Um, any other thoughts about what you might have um, on hand and so forth? I mean, of course, having good neighbors and having family members check on loved ones, that, right. that's something that we encourage a lot. Just, I mean, even something, going back to the cell phone charger, they do sell battery-operated cordless cell phone chargers that you can charge up in advance so it's in your home and you don't have to go outside and worry about starting your vehicle, maybe having a dead battery or something. Um, those are really cheap. They're available everywhere. And as far as other things to have on hand, it's, you know, every household is different and everyone has different needs. Um, if you have pets, you want to make sure you have pet supplies 
food if your dog or cat or other pet takes medication make sure you have that if you're calculating how much water you need to save up then you want to make sure your pets are included in that as well um, and if you have kids you want to make sure you have things for the kids to do whether it's card games or board games or some other thing that they're not used to doing because everyone is so technologically connected and electronically connected with their eye things and everything else, your kids will still need to be entertained even when you don't have electricity. Yeah, that's a, I think that's an excellent point, and particularly about the pets. Uh, as a pet lover and, and um, admirer of, of people that have, have all sorts of animals, it is important, particularly in this hot weather. I mean, we just had a rash of the, um, the hot, humid weather, and unfortunately we were still getting phone calls of people leaving their pets in the car, and it just doesn't take too long. I mean, the, the chief, you probably, I know you're a paramedic and you've been doing the fire service for a great number of years, but the, the time period that it, that the short period of time that it takes for a car to heat up, whether it's a person that's inside or whether it's a, a pet or a loved one, it, it, it doesn't take very long at all. Any thoughts on that? Oh, no, it's um, definitely, it's part of the planning process is putting, you know, keep, keeping a safe environment and having those resources. Uh, I think Aaron stated just uh, last week during the heat when the power went out in Essex, there were people who didn't have water at home and they were concerned about that. That's in the middle of the summer, you know, they just, people don't plan for these things. So having this plan in place 365 days a year, not just when the storm's coming, don't just run to Shaw's or stop and shop and buy every bit of water on the shelf then, always keep something on the shelf. Uh, and the other thing is I think people with special needs and circumstances where they need power, uh, National Grid does have a notification system that you can notify them that of special needs and that say if they're on a oxygen concentrator and they need oxygen at home and they need electricity and they're a priority, those are things that the National Grid can be notified of as well as the Board of Health does have a, um, a running list, I believe, right, of special yep. needs individuals who may need some special services in a case of an emergency. Yeah, that's 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 a great, great suggestion. And I know that every year we have a meeting with National Grid and to talk about um, and what we do and so forth and the grid's responsibility and, and efforts that they will make in an emergency. But, um, you know, it, it is so important, particularly because the first thing that people do is when they run out of power, they're trying to call the police department. I don't have power. No, we, hold on. The first thing they do is go on Facebook. That's right. <laughs> and then they say, no power here. Anyone else? That's right. Yeah, I know I have, I have seen that. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, um, a lot of the social media things, I, I know it's, it's part of our, our world, but essentially I, I really would like to see people uh, go back to the, the other types of communication. It is a great tool for that. We do utilize that on our department um, using the social media and so forth. But certainly we want them to make notification. The grid has made some, some great improvements to getting online. If people want to see where there are power outages, they have a fairly updating graph that they show of, of a chart of, of neighborhoods in different parts of, of town and so forth. But listen, it's things are mechanical, okay? So if they don't have the most up-to-date information, you may think that somebody has called, refer to, if you're going to go online, go online, check out the number for residential or business reportings of power outages, and make sure that, that you are calling them. It saves a trip of calling us, but certainly if you reach out to the grid, you tell them the street that you're on, you tell them your location and so forth, and let them know that you do not have power. That ty Those types of things would be greatly, um, very valuable to the, to the folks at the grid because then they can update that. Sometimes I've seen that they, 
They just didn't realize that there was a power outage in a small, maybe it's a small cul-de-sac or, or a part of Essex that does not, you know, may not have, have it on, on the um, chart that, that the grid is putting online. So it, that's another great point. So thank you for that. Um, any thoughts from the, from the Board of Health side as far as other things that people can do? I mean, you've given us some great information, sharing it with the, the listeners. Probably the most, uh, one of the most important things that I can stress is that everyone needs to have some sort of a written emergency plan. It doesn't have to be a 30-page booklet, a list of important telephone numbers, um, what you think you'll need. If you have to evacuate, does everyone know where you're going to go? Who's in charge? Who's the outside um, contact person outside of our area so everyone can call in and say, yes, I'm okay, and then you know, you're not tying up everyone's phone line, not know, knowing who to call. Um, just basic information that everyone should have about where you are, who you are, where you're going, and whether you have everything you need. And that's something families can, can do together and practice together. That's great. And I think even the follow-up, which was you bring up the family part, which I think is, is very important as well. I mean, we, the Chief, Chief Doucette and I field calls often uh, to do well-being checks. Gee, I haven't talked to my, my, um, my son, my daughter, my father, my mother, those types of things. So we oftentimes go out and do check on, on uh, it might be elderly, it might be younger people, but keeping in touch with people, it is a, it is a great thing. And unfortunately, if there's power outage, there are obstacles of us, you know, getting that information so that we may go out and see that their loved ones are okay. So, and also, you know, for, as far as the, the fire side of things, Chief, the Red Cross, I know, is, is such a great agency that, um, you know, particularly in fires, can you tell us a little bit about the services that the Red Cross provide, maybe during an emergency or even, even a house fire? Right. Well, basic services during a fire they'll provide is they'll, they'll respond to a scene if somebody needs someplace to go, um, or they'll provide vouchers for hotel rooms for, you know, a short period of time until things kind of, you know, the homeowner is able to work with their their insurance provider to find permanent uh, relocation. Uh, the other thing, they will assist with sheltering. Um, I'll touch on sheltering a little bit. We, um, a lot of times during weather events, whether it's warm or cold, we'll open a, what we call a... Um, Warming station. Station or cooling station. Mm -hmm. It's not technically a shelter, uh, but it's, an, it's a location where people can go and either get warm, charge their phones, or get cool and charge their phone, depending on the weather. We also have the option of um, opening the elementary school as a, an emergency shelter for residents. Um, that doesn't really happen that often, as I think Chief Silva mm -hmm. stated. We have suggested to people over the years, you know, you want to leave your house and go to a shelter, and most people will, you know, elect to stay in their home as long as they're safe and they're warm enough. Uh, but the option of a shelter is there. On a bigger scale, if there was a big event in this area, the Red Cross would open what they call a regional shelter, and they would staff it, but it's usually at a predetermined location in one of the bigger schools in the area. So if there was a weather event where they were concerned about, uh, you know, say widespread damage on Cape Ann, they probably wouldn't locate the shelter in on Cape Ann. It would be off-site, probably inland at a bigger school or a bigger community, uh, more towards the Merrimack Valley, where it would be less affected by the the wind and the weather at the coast. Uh, but the Red Cross, Cross would be very involved in that of running a shelter. They would assist us if we did a, a smaller shelter just for the community, say if we had a localized event where we had to move a number of people out of their residence because something happened in the neighborhood. 
but they would not, you know, typically we would not open up a shelter in each community, uh, sometimes with some of the bigger weather events. Well, I think that's a great point about the heating and the cooling centers. <clears throat> Excuse me. I know that, again, um, the hot weather that we had and the humid weather, and then that's exacerbated by the power outages and so forth. But this is, this is one of the things, Aaron, that I, I really appreciate the work that you do, that um, keeping in touch with you and setting these types of things up. Because we certainly do use social media, and um, I've been on the phone and with the chief back and forth on, on a variety of, of situations in town. But the heating and the cooling centers are really an in integral part of the services that we do provide for people. Um, if they don't have the power or they do have pets or there are health issues that, that we were concerned about or they might be concerned about, these are excellent opportunities for people to take advantage of these things. And I would probably say, uh, I don't know if you would agree with me, but I think that it's, it's something that's very underutilized in town. But we do have the surface. We thank you for every time that you've, you've been there to try to um, offer this to our community because we work very hard to make sure that the, um, all of the residents and the business people are safe and are comfortable. Because again, I know we discussed the pets before, but you know, pets can only, can only take so much heat, just like people as well. So that's a, that's a great thought, and thank you for that as well. Um, any other topics that you'd like to speak about or yeah. that you think will be helpful? Well, I just, you know, I, a lot of planning is done behind the scene. I don't think people know always. I mean, the communities of Essex is very active in the Cape Ann Emergency Planning Team, as well as uh, at the statewide level with, you know, different MEMA meetings. Uh, so there is a lot of planning going on behind the scene, but the, the message is, is just try to be prepared yourself and be able to uh, take care of yourself for, for a short period of time. Uh, while things could be a little bit dicey and difficult for uh, public safety agencies to come in and really help you out. No, uh, planning also, Chief, wouldn't that be uh, something like fire detect, uh, smoke detectors mm -hmm. or CO2 detectors? Mm -hmm. I know even one at the station the other day, it, was, um, it went beyond its life expectancy. It mm -hmm. sounded off. We just replaced that. I mean, these are things also that people should get when you recommend on a, on a what, what type of regular basis would you suggest? Well, depending on the age of your house, uh, older houses are usually only required to have battery detectors, but the typical life for a battery detector is about 10 years for a smoke detector and seven years for a carbon monoxide detector. For hardwired systems, uh, it's basically the same life expectancy, and then some people who have a monitor-type fire alarm and burglar system, their detectors may last longer. It's usually at the suggestion of whatever the alarm company suggests. They can be tested and have a longer life, but the basic expectancy of a smoke detector is no longer than 10 years, and they should be replaced in a carbon monoxide seven years. Okay, very good. Um... Now, some of them are battery-powered and some of them are, are hardwired, correct? Yeah, it depends at, of what age the house was and where the building code was. So an older house that was built in the 70s hasn't had any significant renovation that is only required to have a battery detector, where newer construction, it's uh, usually a interconnected um, line voltage or um, low-voltage alarm-type system, uh, which is a little bit more robust than the older systems. Older. Now, now something that I think is fascinating as well, I mean we do all the, we speak about all the emergency planning that we do and so forth, but carbon monoxide, tell me about that, it's odorless, it's colorless, it's, um, it's a killer. It's basically undetectable by human senses, uh, but it's a gas that it displaces oxygen and uh, it, it can suffocate people and it attaches, uh, when in the bloodstream it attaches uh, more easily to red blood cells than oxygen does, so that's why people get sick. 
they sometimes just become to feel have like they have flu symptoms or they become drowsy or things like that, which sometimes are common symptoms of other things. So that's why anybody who has a appliance that burns either uh, fossil fuel, wood, coal, pellets, anything that burns a fuel with a flame, you have to, by law, have a carbon monoxide detector on each lev living level of your house. Never, ever run a barbecue grill in the garage or anything, things of that nature type thing? No, never, ever. Uh, barbecue grills, generators, Generators. It's, it's people who have generators and you know the weather, the power is out, they run the generator, they open the door of the garage and they leave it running in the garage. Not good enough. It, it can't be in the house. It should be away from the house at safe distance, uh, usually you know 10 to 15 feet. You want it so the fumes aren't going to blow into the house. We've had situations where generators are running outside and they're actually properly installed, but with the wind blowing the right way and just poor integrity of the basement, it got into the house and set the detectors off. But fortunately, these people had devices that detected that. It's in the situations where somebody doesn't have a detector, uh, they very well could end up very sick. And um, there's all the, so those individuals who the detector is making noise and they think it's the battery, so they take the battery out mm. and put it in the exactly, sock drawer. Sure. And it may be actually an alarm condition. If, it, if a battery detector or any detector is alarming, uh, call the fire department and have them check it out. Yeah. We do have portable equipment. We can check for gas readings and That's carbon dioxide sure. readings in your house. I, I think that the, the CO2 thing, again, is, is very important. I know last year, as the, I'm speaking as the harbor master in the town of Essex, that we had a boat that uh, had two people on board. They were spending the afternoon at anchor on their mooring, actually, and another boat, not a, a, long, a long distance, very close proximity to their boat, and the other party was running their generator, and two people, um, they became overcome and got very sick and he put it he had the common sense to put it together to say i, I think i'm being overcome by carbon monoxide he was lightheaded he, he described to me that he had to crawl out of the the boat to uh to get off of the mooring and very very dangerous and it could have been very fatal if somebody was there and just dismissed it as as symptomatic of just not feeling well or an illness or something so that's great information um aaron anything from the board of health that you'd like to to leave the listeners from no, been great. This has been good. Excellent. Uh, I'd like to thank my special guest, Chief. Did you have anything that you'd like to do? No, I enjoyed my time here. Thanks for inviting me. I think we covered a lot. I think we covered a lot for like emergency planning, September's emergency preparedness month, mm -hmm. and I think we touched on um, all the That's highlights. That's right. That's a great point because it is, it is um, emergency planning month. Mm -hmm. Thank you for it that. Is. That's correct. And Everyone should celebrate by making an, uh, an emergency kit and an emergency plan. Good thoughts. So if anybody had any specific questions for either the Essex Board of Health or the Essex Fire Department or Police Department, they would dial, for the Police Department, they would dial 911, of course, for an emergency. And if they wanted to reach you, Aaron, at the Essex Board of Health, what number is the best number? Uh, the Board of Health Office is 978-768-7614. 7614, great. And Chief? And again, an emergency, if you needed the fire department or an ambulance, it would be 911. Uh, if they wanted to call the office for a question about any type of fire safety information, it would be 978-768-6363. Excellent. And also with the police department, our business number would be 978-768-6628, which would bring you into a, a queue that you could select the individual officer that you would like to speak with. But again, I want to remind people that in an emergency, please dial 911 immediately. 
All right. Well, um, I'd like to thank, again, thank my guests, Essex Fire Chief Daniel Doucette, and of course, Essex Board of Health Administrator Aaron Kirshner. Um, it certainly has been a pleasure to work cooperatively with both of you, both in the office and as well as out in the field. And I think that I, both, uh, all three of us really have covered a lot of ground, provided some helpful information to those who hopefully will turn into, tune into this podcast about emergency planning. So this will complete the, the new CORI, the acronym again, Keeping Our Residents Informed series, that I'll be doing several of these um, podcasts to be get the information out to listeners. And just please remember, take some time, plan for the unexpected, an emergency can happen. It can happen anywhere, it can happen anytime. And I believe strongly that your planning efforts will pay great dividends for you and your family if you plan ahead. I'm Chief Peter Silver of the Essex Police Department, and thank you so much for listening to our podcast with our guests on emergency planning. Thank you.